0: Hey, it's Martine. Today we have a very special show for you. It's a story told by Maggie Penman from the Post Reports team and economic correspondent Heather Long. And this story is about quitters. It follows a bunch of workers who quit their jobs this year, and it goes to all these surprising places. Just a quick note before it starts, there is one bit of strong language that comes in the first few minutes. It might not be appropriate for all listeners. So with that in mind. Enjoy the show, and here is Maggie. So there was this place. A German restaurant with a twist in this college town outside of Little Rock, Arkansas. People love this restaurant. If you look on Google or Yelp, you will see
1: tons of five-star reviews from locals and people who just happened upon it. It's a pretty
0: unusual restaurant in this town. It's farm-to-table, European food. They were serving spatzel and this dish they call Vlad Poutine, slow braised pork shoulder with beer cheese sauce served over potatoes. This is the story of Wonderhouse, spelled the German way. Like Wunderhaus? <laughs>
1: uh, this is America, so it's pronounced Wonderhouse.
0: This restaurant had been a dream come true for August Forrester and Jacqueline Smith, their siblings, and they went into business together in 2015, along with their spouses.
2: When we first um, got started, all four of us were in the kitchen just on a regular basis. I mean, it was just more or less, you know, us and I think, I think two other employees.
1: Jacqueline and August had this vision. Their restaurant could be part of a small town American revival.
0: They would support local farms and bring good food to their community. The staff was tight-knit, like a family. And customers felt that way, too.
1: And are you starting to get notes from customers who are just devastated to Um, see this? I just
3: got done going through 54 voicemails. Most of them were for reservations or just people saying, like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't see any point in calling him back. I just deleted him. <laughs> what, what am I going to say, <laughs> you know? I don't know what to say.
0: Because what do you say when your dream has just unraveled, when your kitchen staff has quit walking out one after another?
4: COVID has really made for better or for worse people be like, OK, this this is probably not what I want to do with my life.
5: Went to have a, a talk about money, and I didn't hear what I wanted to hear. So i put in my two weeks.
6: You know, you just don't accept the shit sandwich you've been fed for a long time after something like this happens.
0: <laughs> from the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Quitters, a special series from Post Reports. I'm Maggie Penman, the executive producer of the show. And I'm Heather Long, an economics correspondent. This is a topic I have not been able to stop thinking about this year. I think there's something a little bit irresistible about quitting stories. No matter how much you love your job, there are probably days when you want to take off your apron or throw your phone in the ocean and walk off into the sunset. And for millions of people during the pandemic, they have actually done this. The data suggests that more than a quarter of the workforce in the U.S. quit their jobs this year. Over the next few days on Post Reports, we're going to hear from some of these people. Restaurant owners who sold their stake in their small business, packed up their lives, and moved to a farm. Employees who led a worker rebellion. And an economist who's helping us make sense of what is going on here why so many people are reassessing the role of work in their lives right now. And what comes next? Heather, I always think about you as like the expert on quitters and this kind of like YOLO economy that we're living through.
1: I've been calling it the great reassessment of work. We've just seen so many people who are retiring early, who are quitting their jobs to go start their own business or be their own bosses, or who are trying to change careers, or even if they're staying in their current industry, they're asking for a raise or looking for a little bit different role or more work-life balance. It's just happening over and over again. But I just, I kept coming back to this restaurant, this Wonderhouse story. It really hit me because it's such a microcosm of so many things that we're seeing in the U.S. economy right now.
0: I mean, it really started out as the millennial version of the American dream. It was this family-run food truck, ethical food locally sourced. It got super popular and eventually they found a brick and mortar home in an old gas station
3: the lobby area, and there there would be aisles with candy bars and cokes.
0: We went to go see it this fall.
3: It's an old building, and we, we used to have people say, I got my oil change here when I was a kid. I can't believe I'm eating here.
0: But you first talked to August Forster, like, late in the summer, right? Yes, I'll never forget that phone call.
1: You could just hear how weary and tired he was. He was advertising for a dishwasher at close to $17 an hour. But he himself, they hadn't been a profit in over a year. They had done that paycheck protection program to try to survive. They had tried to be creative in the kitchen and put more tables outside and make sure people wore masks. And it just, it
0: felt like, do, do, do more. And it's never enough. When we met August, you could definitely see that in his face. He is 32 years old, and he has this kind of, like, hipster cowboy vibe. He kept kind of oscillating between excitement and pride as he was showing us around, but also disappointment because this was the end of this run. We met him at Wonder House just a few days after they had decided to close for good. He hadn't even told his daughter yet. She's six, and this place is all she's ever known.
3: She introduces me as the boss of Wonder House, and... When she found out that I was the boss of Wonder House, because Wonder House was in her, always in her life, when she thought, found out I was the boss, that was only a couple months ago, and she's like, you're the boss of this place, you know, this place where I've had all these golden memories, and and I was like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> watching this ship sink, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's me. <laughs> and, and-
0: to really understand what happened at this restaurant, we had to go see Dylan Rodriguez. He lit up when we asked him what made Wonderhouse special.
4: We used to do this thing like in a mousse bouche. So it's like a little one bite thing before an appetizer, just a little taste of whatever the chef wants to give you, basically. So that was always fun. I'd get my team together and I'd be like, all right. I'd, l- I'd deliberately like leave it to the last minute. I'd be like, all right, we have like five minutes to scramble. We're going to make something really cool and really fun and we're going to get it out there. It doesn't matter. Let's do it.
1: Dylan lives about a block away from Wonder House, and he's important because he's the first one in the kitchen to quit. He's 25, he's Mexican-American, grew up loving to cook, and Anthony Bourdain. But it wasn't until he got to Wonder House that he really felt like he was at cooking school, learning all these really neat Eastern European recipes.
4: It was the charm about it, you know? It could get overwhelming, but that was definitely the charm of Wonder House, how small it was, how very tight-knit everyone was, you know?
1: People keep using this word family to us. It just felt like a family. It uh, did,
4: for a lot of good reasons, but a lot of bad reasons.
0: Restaurants can be stressful places to work, even in the best of circumstances. But we all know what happened in spring of 2020.
1: All right, so take us through this period when it all changes. I mean, the whole world was changing with COVID. And so... and then also
4: the smaller world of Wonderhouse House was very drastically and fast changing. <laughs>
1: In March of last year, Wonder House went through what so many other restaurants did in this pandemic. Here's one of the co-owners, Jacqueline Smith.
2: You know, by March, by middle of March, it was like like we knew it was coming. We could see it. Uh, I had all my staff. I had a meeting with them one morning pretty early, sat down and said, hey, you know, I think this is coming. We're not quite sure what it is. I don't know if you've heard about it, um, but it's, it's a reason for us to uh, maybe be concerned and, you know, don't freak out. We're trying not to freak out, <laughs> um, but, you know, I think some things are gonna change and we're all gonna try to roll with it and, and keep in um, communication and, uh, and then that weekend, um, there was like no one in the restaurant And it was just, it was just, uh, my daughter says cuckoo banana bread, you know, it was crazy. It was crazy too, because it was like, we went from doing, you know, $5,000 evenings in a very small space, um, on a regular basis, uh, real busy, packed, jam-packed dinner services with people waiting outside um, to, you know, just like almost like a ghost town. And it just happened what felt like, you know, almost overnight.
1: The restaurant tried so many things. Family meals, takeout only, they closed for a while. But for Jacqueline and her husband, Jason, it just didn't seem sustainable.
3: It wasn't going to support all the families involved in um, spending more time working in, during COVID than you would normally in not seeing any benefit from it.
0: So Jason and Jacqueline sold their half of the restaurant and they got out.
1: Losing them was a serious blow for the staff. Dylan had loved working for Jacqueline and Jason. But when August took things over and reached out in the summer of 2020.
4: He was like, do you want to help me like, reopen the store? And I was like, yeah, sure. Like, you know, I, love, I want to keep making food. Like, that's, let's do it. So yeah, he I quite literally like helped him open the store back up. So we got that going. I got some people back. He got some people back. And we just decided to make it work.
0: The restaurant tried to reopen as safely as they could. Masks were mandated. There were more tables outside. And they kept doing takeout.
4: So before the pandemic, we were a fine dining, no takeout. So that was a big challenge of like, you had a packed house, people ordering like multiple courses of food, but also there's like a whole ticket line of takeouts.
1: It was a
0: huge amount of work for not a lot of revenue. And for Dylan, he felt like he was working a lot harder than he had been before the pandemic and not being acknowledged. He started to butt heads with August and Casey, the two remaining co-owners.
4: It's man, and I really wasn't even asking for much recognition. I was just like, "You gotta like understand that this is too much. I'm working all day, every day. You're never here. We're not getting like orders on time. We're not getting a lot of stuff like that. Just small things of like building up over time that I just don't. It just like yeah, you couldn't do it. I mean, I was having like panic. I had to like go to the back sometimes and just like have a panic attack.
1: One of the big points of contention was Dylan's title. He felt he'd really stepped up in the kitchen and was being a leader. He felt he should be called head chef. But August didn't see it like that. August is one of those people who believes that everyone's kind of in it together, you know, round table style, and that titles shouldn't matter to people.
0: But for Dylan, it mattered even more than the pay. And one night in June, there was a big argument between Dylan and August's wife, Casey. And a few days later, on a Tuesday, Dylan goes in and tells August...
4: I just want to let you know that I quit. I can't do it. Thank you for everything. Here's your key. And so that was about it.
0: That moment, it kicked off a chain reaction among the kitchen staff. Other people had been having their own questions about how hard they were working, whether they were appreciated, whether it was worth it. And seeing Dylan go empowered them.
1: The next person to quit was kind of like one of the assistant cooks, if you will. Think about him as the number two or three person on the team. And it's a guy named Landon. And he was buddies with Dylan. They were friends outside of work. And for Landon, I'll never forget when I called him, he said, basically, I would have kept working there for any amount of money if Dylan had stayed. These guys were my family. And when they left,
0: it was just gone for me. It was really about the people for him. And then another guy on the kitchen staff, David, also left right around this time, just coincidentally to go work at a restaurant outside of Boston.
5: If there's no bodies to cook in the kitchen, there's no food to be sold. You know, it's it's a hard spot to be in. You know, once, once they left, August was definitely cooking a lot more in the kitchen, trying to involve time. But one person only has two hands and two feet. You can only move so fast, you know?
1: But it didn't end there with David. By mid-July, another member of the kitchen crew quits. Quincy Downs.
5: So it's just like everybody around me was quitting.
0: But first, Quincy tried asking for more money.
5: Well, Dylan had such an important position. Everyone has to step it up a bit. And I was like, well, if I'm going to be doing Dylan's workload, I'm going to need to be compensated for that. And I... Went to have a, a talk about money, and I didn't hear what I wanted to hear. So I put in my two weeks.
0: Quincy was making ten fifty an hour plus some tips, thanks to a tip-sharing policy August started during the pandemic. But Quincy knew other people in the kitchen had been making $13 an hour or more. So when August offered him a dollar an hour raise, it just didn't feel like enough.
5: I would have had to do a little bit of Landon's workload and a little bit of Dylan's workload. And I knew David was leaving. I knew for a fact he was leaving. I just didn't know when. So all that just to make $11.50, it's not, it's just not worth it.
1: We asked Quincy what he makes the fact that so many workers, especially in the restaurant industry, are quitting their jobs right now in the past few months.
5: I just look at the demographic of the people who are quitting, right? Like a lot of people our age in our bracket are... They don't have careers and they look up and they're like, well, I had invested. And once you realize that you don't really have a, a past, like a, a situation like me where I ask for more money and they're like, you ah, can't do that for you. Then you look at, well, this isn't even my career. This isn't even what I want to do. And I can't even get that, you know, from something I don't even want necessarily. It's really hard to face that fact. And I think all across the country people realize that. These jobs really do not care about you as much as no matter how much of a family situation, no matter how mom and pop, how corporate, it's, you're expendable.
0: Okay, so in case you've lost track, that was Dylan, Landon, David, Quincy, four people in the back of house and also a server quit in the front of house right around the same time. And this was a staff of 11 people before this happened. For August and Casey, they just felt like they couldn't catch a break.
1: Casey was working full-time as a nurse at an independent living facility during the day. And she was helping the restaurant manage COVID, and she would go there in the evenings to try to help out. They were also doing childcare and schooling for a six-year-old daughter. And they were caring for Casey's grandma, who was ill and living with them at the
0: time. With everything else going on in their lives, the kitchen walkout really stung. When you know
6: when you in your heart like how much we've suffered for this place, and some someone who's worked here a couple of years telling you that you're not doing enough or you haven't done enough for this place, and you're like, "I've actually sacrificed my whole life for this, you know, so, as a business owner who's literally been behind those toilets painting and, like, been in that kitchen and been behind the bar and been serving tables and, and wiping tables and serving people while I was working a full-time job. And my husband is working.
0: And it was, like, something that,
6: um, you know, destroyed our family for a little bit.
0: When we talk about the quitting phenomenon, we usually talk about the ones who leave— rather than the people who get left behind. We met up with Wonderhouse bartender Erin Turner, who was one of the few people who stuck it out after the walkout.
7: Yes, so I went through the many stages of grief at that point. I, anger I hit, hit me hard. Because um, there was that much more work. Our hours got longer on Friday and Saturday. I, I did feel a little bit you know, abandoned and slightly betrayed, but I guess after a couple of weeks, I just pulled up my bootstraps and had to get over that because feeling that way wasn't going to, wasn't going to change anything.
1: Then this fall, the restaurant closed temporarily, or at least it was supposed to be temporary. The owner of the property wanted to sell it, and this is an old gas station, so they had to dig up the gas tanks that were still buried at this point underneath the patio of Wonder House. So they thought, okay, this will just take a few days, we'll dig up these gas tanks, and it'll all be fine. Except it wasn't fine. They discovered that there was this massive gas leak that had gone untreated for years. So August and Casey are distraught and they say to the restaurant staff, hey, take a month off, get on unemployment. And during that time, Erin reconsiders her own future and signs up for barber school.
7: The pandemic definitely did because it made me realize, do I want to be in the service industry, especially a restaurant for the next coming years? And the answer was no. very unstable, especially when something like this happens. Um, But really what pushed me to thinking about barber school to the point of starting barber school was when our gas tanks got dug up and we had a surprise month vacation. (laughs) It turned into now a forever vacation. (laughs) But yeah, it really did it, it made me balance out and think about what I really wanted to do in the future. And now, hopefully in a year and a half or so, I'll be cutting people's hair.
0: (laughs) For August and Casey, the discovery of this gas leak was the final straw. They were told they couldn't reopen at this location, and they didn't have it in them to find another one. So, they quit too. They decided to finally close for good in October. Did it feel almost like an act of God or something? Yeah, we definitely
6: felt like the universe was The talking. insurance
3: wouldn't say it is, <laughs> but we would. <laughs> Praise be.
0: <laughs> yeah. Was there any feeling of, um, I mean, I don't know, I hate to say this because obviously that you guys like poured your heart and soul into this place, but was there any relief of like, that this has been so hard for so long? Absolutely. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was a
6: relief of like, like I said, I don't think we would have to to look at our employees and say, we're closing was probably never going to (laughs) happen. Just because of our like connection with
3: There was always the the just around the river bend, there was always a mm-hmm. light at the end of the tunnel, there was always another you know, we were just coming into patio season. So for us this is like We're about um, to plan our birthday. Yeah, we were playing our birthday. It was Octoberfest. We had um, October. all these catering gigs lined up for uh, all the way in through January. It was like, wow, we're, we're actually doing it again. You know, things are actually coming out of COVID. Mm-hmm. And then this happened right when patio season started. And that our patio season basically from September through December makes up over half of our income for the whole year. So if we lost... And, and October is our best month. So if we lost October, that's almost our whole year right there. You know, it just mm-hmm. is awful. And we couldn't make it through January. There's no way.
6: Yeah, you know, there's no more. There's no more money out there for. Well, restaurants there's.
3: And we could tap into our reputation. We have a good reputation. I think that we could probably do a GoFundMe or a Kickstarter or something like that. But.
6: I think we feel like that we've resuscitated it enough.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Over (laughs) and and over and over. You know, it's kind
6: of like the art of dying. Like sometimes, you know, doctors have conversations with people like quality of life and you know, (laughs) it's time
7: (laughs) and maybe you
6: shouldn't keep beating on the chest of this patient, you know, that kind of stuff. So it really felt like okay, you're about to have to go in and resuscitate it again, again. Like it's about to take another, you know, years or And where
3: and where? You don't even know. We don't even know Mm-mm. where we would go.
5: Mm-mm.
3: I I would probably keep doing it. The more I think it, like, ju- just one more around the river bend, maybe. But it's kind of out of our hands now. Mm-hmm.
6: It's definitely a, it. We we use that term a lot. Like the I think the universe spoke <laughs> like.
0: after the break, whether life after quitting was everything people thought it would be. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. One of the big questions Heather and I had going into this reporting was, what happens after people quit? We have all this data that shows so many Americans are quitting their jobs, but we don't know as much about how they're feeling about that now, if they're financially better off, if they're glad they did it. The first person we put these questions to was Dylan Rodriguez. He's working at a different restaurant in town now, an Italian place called Zaza, he makes a little less money than he did at Wonder House. He also works less. And he's happier.
4: I'm not saying it's necessarily even worked out for me, but I just know I feel better mentally, emotionally, and like creatively now that I'm at a place of where I can feel like I'm in control of my life again. You know, And I feel like a lot of people feel the same way who work 9 to 5. They don't feel in control of their
1: life. Dylan's friend Quincy is also working at Zaza now. Quincy makes about the same amount of money that he did at Wonder House. But he also works a little less and says he has more time to do other things, like make music.
5: I will never work at another place where I'm working like 12-hour days on the reg. Just not doing that. I don't have, I have, I don't know. I think it's another thing people realize is they have actual lives outside of work. And I think the pandemic being cooped up in the house all the time kind of shows you that like, oh, there was a whole another place, a whole another comfort zone that I have that, doesn't revolve around petty things like this, you know? But yeah, I think it's rough. Uh, this place has dealt with the same type of thing where people just feel, um, at the, in the grand scheme, overworked, underappreciated. And I feel better. I've been welcomed kindly. Everyone's super nice to me. But um, I have the same feeling that I have a Winterhouse. This is, like I said, this isn't my career. I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. Um, and it's really hard. It's going to be hard for the next few foreseeable months for people to find something they really want to do and get paid well.
0: It really struck me to hear that Zaza is going through the same thing.
1: And I I don't know, I think there's something to this notion that once people realize others are doing, like, this chain reaction notion, you you see it when there's a walkout at one restaurant and sometimes at another restaurant or store in town. People then do the same thing. Yeah,
0: like it becomes an option.
1: Yeah. Everyone Everyone who
0: might have, you know, not thought that it was possible is like, no, I could do that. Right. As for the bartender, Aaron Turner... She's working her way through barber school.
7: I just feel like eventually I'll be able to have my own little spot. And I'll know the future of it. And I think that'll be a a nice, relieving thing to know. And then also to go out and build my my own customer base. And that's what I hope is different.
0: Then there's Jacqueline and Jason Smith, the two co-owners who were the first to walk away from wonderhouse They made a really radical life change, and they're now living in Nebraska. Jason works on an organic farm, and Jacqueline is selling produce at a farmer's market. I think it's this, yeah? yeah. Oh, yeah. And there are cows there. A lot of cows. They were pretty raucous, actually. <laughs> is that a sound that expresses discontent?
7: Oh, yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's one thing about cows is they let you know.
1: In some ways, their lives are simpler now. They sleep more, they spend more time outside, they work for somebody else, they get to spend more time with their daughter. But Nebraska just doesn't quite feel like home. They think they're going to move again. The future is still uncertain
2: for them. For me, it feels complicated because now we're at a place where we get to decide what the next, you know, what that path is forward looks like and where is it okay for us to get stuck Um, where is hazel going to have the best chance of you know drinking clean water um, breathing clean air um, in 20 years when she's going to hold us ultimately you know accountable
0: august and casey are also figuring out what's next
3: can you hear me okay because i'm in a I'm in a part of the world I'm in Texas right now and I'm kind of in the in the woods, so i'm going to try to step out and open here and hopefully
0: I called August last week just to check in, and to my surprise, he was in Texas in the middle of the woods, learning to build eco friendly homes
3: Where I am working right now, if I look straight up, the sky looks just like a blueberry. Why would I trade that?
0: I mean, just listen to this guy, Heather. He sounds so happy. It's amazing what a turnaround
1: it's been for him just in the last few weeks since we visited him in Conway, Arkansas. And I think what really struck me as we were reporting this is it was kind of 50-50 whether or not people quit and ended up better off financially. Were they making more or not? But to a person, everyone told us they did not regret quitting, and they really felt like their mental health had improved massively.
0: And you see that in August. Did it surprise you that people weren't necessarily better off financially? That was the biggest surprise for me reporting this.
1: I think economists keep telling us, flashing all these charts and graphs and making it sound like everyone is quitting these restaurant and retail jobs to go across the street for two or three more dollars to work in a warehouse or work in another restaurant where they can earn a little bit more. And it's just so much more complicated than that. For a lot of people, it is a time in life to finally prioritize their health, their mental health. Their, their family, their work-life balance, and even for workers who are earning $10 to $15 an hour, who might you might not normally think would have the ability to do this, they are finally able to make these types of decisions.
0: And what's behind that? Like, how are lower-wage workers able to make this choice to quit a job without anything lined up? A huge part of the story has definitely been those government payments.
1: Obviously, a lot of these workers were on unemployment temporarily, but for many of them, what really gave them a good cushion of savings were those stimulus checks, a couple thousand dollars worth of stimulus checks that they were able to mostly put away. And it just, many of them talked about it allowed them to to take these leaps, to take these risks, knowing that they had some money, they
0: weren't going to be out on the street, and that it was kind of now or never. One thing I was really struck by listening to people talk about this decision is how empowering it was for them. Even if they quit a restaurant job, went to work in another restaurant, like just the act of quitting seemed to make them feel better. And I wonder if that's something that you've heard from other people as you've been reporting on this. Definitely. And there's just a huge sense this year of worker empowerment,
1: whether people are quitting and going somewhere else or whether they're going into their boss and asking for a different wage or asking for a promotion. That's just happening all over the country right now. And I think it will continue to a certain extent in 2022. I think we learned that once we were reporting this, that there's, yeah, there's probably going to be more hiring, but it's still going to be Um, a good bit of the power in the hands of of lower wage workers in particular
0: so um Heather we have to say (laughs) this is actually your last story as an econ correspondent at the post you quit that job um right after reporting this story to pursue writing for the opinion section um has reporting on this all year affected the way you think about your own life?
1: I think uh, you know, the bottom-line takeaway and the whole reason that I wrote a piece way back in the spring on why people are reassessing their lives is it's been a phenomenal moment of change for so many. And I'm definitely a part of that. A lot of things happened in, in life in the last year and a half. And you sort of feel like a new person coming out of this.
0: This episode was produced by me, Maggie Penman, and I am not quitting my job for the time being, and co-reported with Heather Long. It was edited by Rina Flores, with additional editing from Renita Jablonski, Emma Talkoff, Ariel Plotnick, Martine Powers, and Ted Muldoon, who also mixed and scored. Special thanks to Hannah Thacker and Olivia McCormick. Tomorrow on Post Reports, we're continuing our series on quitters, this time at a McDonald's in Pennsylvania.
4: To be a fast food worker in America is to feel invisible. It's to feel looked down upon. It's to feel like, you know, you should be doing better with your life.
0: We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.